Agents Podcast. Welcome to the Lab Code Agents Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Lab Code Agents Marketing Center. The LCA Marketing Center is designed specifically for the real estate world. It's a design center for marketing that has templates created so you can just plug and play. From flyers, postcards, buyer presentations to open house signs and Instagram posts. Check it out for free for seven days at lcamarketingcenter.com. In this week's episode of the Lab Code Agents podcast, Tristan and Nick joined Eric Sachs of Breakthrough Broker for an inspirational interview with best-selling author of The Miracle Morning, Hal Elrod. Hal shares ideas on how to increase your income by starting with a consistent morning routine that you choose and commit to. You will be inspired. Let's listen in. Well, let's intro you, Hal. It's great to have you. I mean, it's amazing that you are going to spend some time with our audience uh, everybody from Breakthrough Broker and Lab Code Agents, Hal's a keynote speaker and a success coach. He's got uh, several best-selling books, The Miracle Morning, Miracle Equation, and he's the founder of the Miracle Morning book series and host of Achieve Your Goal podcast. He survived a terrible car crash and cancer, so he's a fighter. We love to have fighters on. It's amazing. And uh, Hal, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for being on with us today. We really, really, really appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to get started. Uh, yeah. let's, let's get at it. So Savers, break it down for us and, and tell us how it's evolved since you came out with it. Yeah, so Miracle Morning, uh, it, it, it was a practice for me in 2008 when the U.S. economy crashed and I crashed with the economy, right? I mean, like many, whether it's real estate agents or entrepreneurs, businesses all over the place, right? Um, the 2008 recession hit me really hard. I lost over half of my income, over half of my clients, lost my house, so on and so forth. And uh, what's interesting, by the way, just as a little caveat is I've been the miracle morning and these six practices that we'll dive into um, are what turned my life around in 2008, where I more than doubled my income in two months while the economy was declining. And I say that because I want to give you hope. If you're on this call right now and you're worried like, dude, it looks like we're in another recession. How bad is it going to get? How is it going to affect or impact me? I can tell you that after I lost over half of my income, right, and went down, I decided to work on myself and figure out what do I need to do, even in the midst of this economy declining, to grow my business, right? And you, you find answers to whatever questions that you ask. And within two months, I had more than doubled my income. And it felt like a miracle, so I called it my miracle morning, right? Right. And the six practices that make it up are organized in an acronym SAVERS, S-A-V-E-R-S, silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing, which is a fancy word for journaling, but you couldn't put a J at the end of the acronym. It would have been weird, right? SAVERS. So those six practices are the most timeless personal development practices in the history of humanity, right? I didn't invent any of them. In fact, I almost dismissed the idea because they were, nothing was new. And then I realized a couple things. Number one, the world's most successful people, and when I say successful, that's a loaded word. You could say fulfilled, peaceful, happy, wealthy, right? However you define success. The world's most successful people have sworn by those practices for centuries. And usually not all six of them. They do maybe one or two. Maybe they meditate and they read or meditate and, and go for an extra, do exercise, whatever. Mm -hmm. Robert Kiyosaki said it the best, I thought. He summed this up. He had me on Rich Dad Radio years ago. And he had read The Miracle Morning three times at that time. And I was blown away. One of my favorite authors had read the book three times. He summed it up at the end. After I explained the savers, he goes, Hal, 
every successful person on the planet swears by at least one of these as to why they're successful. He said, but I don't think anyone, myself included, he said, has ever does all six of them. Maybe they do one or two, maybe three at the most, but nobody was doing all six of these practices until you combined them into this one hour, 30 minute, whatever you want to do ritual, you know, called the savers, right? Silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing. And so here's an interesting point. You know, Eric, you asked how have they evolved since then, right? right? Since 2008. In my world, they evolved too much, arguably. And what I mean is this. I've been doing chemotherapy for three years since I was diagnosed with this really aggressive form of cancer. I've been on death's doorway many times in the ER, 104 fever. Um, I barely made it, but I beat this cancer, right? But it's still a journey that I'm on. And I'm now, over the last year, I started suffering major mental and emotional challenges that I've never experienced. So debilitating anxiety and depression that can only be described as something uh, like physiological because my life's fine. Like I, I'm a fine, like it doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's like, I always share my, tell my friends, I'm like, it's like somebody took control, the controls of my brain and I not in control anymore. And as I've been, I've been reading about other cancer survivors, you find out this is a, like, this is actually common. I, I've, I've, I read about a neurosurgeon. She goes, she's a neurosurgeon, way smarter than me, all of us put together. Right. And afterwards she had to quit. After chemo, her brain didn't work. She could not function. So anyway, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. Here's the point. In 2008 was the last time I was depressed in my life. And that was a depression from circumstances, right? Um, lost my income, lost my house, body fat percentage tripled, all these things, created this miracle morning routine. I've never stopped doing the miracle morning. It's been 12 years. I do it every, I say I have averaged six days a week, maybe like six point something days a week for the last 12 years. I've never stopped, right? It becomes an addiction because you, you feel good when you do it and you feel lame when you don't, right? You and so I, I, I was, I've been struggling trying to figure out how do I fix this? How do I get over this? And I take it on for me and the rest of the world. Like the way that I look at every adversity and I think that this is something we can all do and it's helpful for me and maybe for you too. Whenever I'm undergoing adversity, whether it's financial or physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, in any area, in my marriage, anything, I always say that I always feel that I have a responsibility to overcome this for me, but I also have a responsibility to overcome this for every other person on the planet that I will ever come in contact with. Because if I don't overcome it, how am I going to help them overcome it? How am I going to teach my kids to overcome their challenges if I can't overcome mine? And ever since my car accident when I was 20, I've always had that mindset. Like if I overcome this, I can then be a light for the world and I can help other people overcome what they're going through. So I'm going through this mental health stuff. That's kind of the only thing that's kept me sane is going, oh, another shitty day. Like, why am I waking up depressed for no reason? Like, ah. But I keep going, okay, there's a bigger purpose. Like tens of millions of people around the world are suffering various mental health issues for various reasons. Right now in the middle of this global COVID-19 pandemic, you know, they say mental health is off the charts and it's only right. going to get worse. So I'm going through it right now, trying to take one for the team and figure out how I can help other people. Hold on. There's a point to this. Where was I going with that? Um, oh, here's, the, here's the point. So a few weeks ago, uh, that was probably maybe three weeks ago. I was, I was in the morning doing my miracle morning and I'm, I'm going, I'm frustrated going, what, why can't I figure this out? Why, you know, and I thought, okay, when was the last time I was depressed? 2008. Okay. What did I do to overcome the depression? The miracle morning. Okay. 
I'm doing the miracle morning right now and I still feel depressed. Like I did it yesterday. I've done it for 12 years. What's the difference? And here's what I did. I asked myself, right? It's amazing, right? We ask, you ask the right questions, you get the right answers. I went, is there anything different about my miracle morning to, as it is today compared to how it was in 2008? And I went through the savers one by one. I go, okay, how about silence? I go, well, yeah, in 2008, I didn't know how to meditate. I, was, I had a beginner's mindset. I was learning how to meditate. I was listening to guided meditations. Well, now I've gotten really lazy with my meditation. In fact, I'll often set a timer for 10 minutes and just lay in my bed under the covers and call that meditation and try to think some positive thought. But like, I'm not, you're not, I'm not getting the same benefits of when I'm sitting up straight with my spine straight, diaphragm breathing, right? Like really focused and present. If I'm laying in bed, posture's not great, right? So I realized my meditation is a far cry from what it was in 2008. Therefore, I'm not experiencing the same benefits. And then I went into affirmations, the A in savers. This was a big wake-up call for me because affirmations, I've always said, have been the most impactful practice in my entire life. And not the way they've been taught for centuries or decades, which is like, kind of just pumping yourself up, right? Like, I'm amazing. I'm a champion. I'm a millionaire. I'm like, right? Like just lying to yourself to to feel good. I've always taught affirmations to be in this really intentional way where you affirm, number one, affirm what you're committed to. Don't say I'm wealthy if you're broke. Say I'm committed to becoming wealthy or even better, I'm committed to earning blank dollars by blank date, right? Get real specific. Affirm, number one, what are you committed to? Number two, why is that meaningful to you? Why is it crucial that that outcome becomes a reality and you follow through with that commitment? So now you've got, you've got the leverage, the juice. Be like When you read that every day, you're reinforcing the commitment that you've made, but you're also reminding yourself why there's no other option. Like you're committed. And number three, what are the specific actions that you're committed to doing and when will you do them? So that formula of affirmations is what I've done and I have it for every area of my life. So for my health and my marriage and as a parent and right, whatever my goals are, I've got an affirmation with those three components. What am I committed to? Why is it meaningful to me? And what specific actions and when will I take them? And here's what's happened. Over the last 12 years, in fact, I can, I'll actually give you a visual of this. So I've, I've moved from a dog. I used to have a one page affirmation in 2008. In fact, I, it's, I, I have it now. Anyway, um, it was printed out and it was one page. And the way that I teach in the miracle morning book is that the value of an affirmation is that you're simply keeping the most important areas of focus for you mentally, emotionally, and even, even logistically like actions you're keeping them top of mind. You're reinforcing it every single day and you're literally programming your mind through repetition to live in alignment with that affirmation, right? Well, my affirmations, I use an app now and I'll just show you now each of these is, so this is one affirmation now, okay? This is one of these affirmations. Look how long it is. This is just for me to stay cancer free. Okay, that's, that's one and I, I didn't even show you the whole thing. Now look how many of these I have for every area of my life. And every time I have a breakthrough in the middle of meditation, I write a new one page affirmation. And what I do, look at it, they just keep going and going and going. So what I do now, it's like Netflix. Like I I wake up, I'm like affirmation time. And I'll just scroll through like, which one do I want to read today? And I'll go, oh, that's a great one. And when I read it, it's powerful. And it reminds me like, oh yeah, this is really important. But 
because the next day I read a different one and then a different one and then a different one and then a different one. The purpose of affirmations is the repetition, right? That's the, that's the real benefit and where you really get mileage and you see, you start to see measurable improvements in your life in the areas that you're affirming. Well, for me, I was diluting it. It was quantity over quality. So I won't go through the rest of the savers. The point is this. I was not, all of my savers had become diluted, too advanced, to, or, or some of them were too lazy. And so here's what's interesting is instead of having a more advanced miracle morning 12 years later, I realized that I needed to go back to the basics. I needed to go back to what I did in 2008. The fundamentals are what, you know, it's kind of like, if you're a basketball player, you know, and you're like, hey, I learned this new way to shoot free throws. If I go from the side, it looks really cool. And your coach is like, no, dude, shoot free throws the exact same way that you learned to shoot them in high school. And then we kept teaching, right? Like just the basics, do the fundamentals, right? Dude, but, that reminds me of when you're working out. They tell you, look, it's all in the form, right? You can, yeah. you can do 20 and suck at the form and nothing will happen. So that's so true that you say that. That is... That is key. What was the app that you're using for affirmations? Um, Google Keep. Oh, perfect. I was going to say, I think was, I couldn't remember the name of it, but it was all colorful, like a Google. Yes, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a visual person. So um, I like that you can put it, you know, you can add one or, or more pictures. Now, the fact so that like I really, little, Google now has all my information. So the, I think Google has all of this in their database, right? I don't know if I want it on Google anymore. Yeah, they, I'm uh, moving they away from They have all of Hal's affirmations yeah. somewhere in a database. So, so Hal, I mean, so, uh, you know, with all the talk about savers, uh, we talk about repetition a lot, consistency. You know, it's easy to talk about the savers that way. But have you? Um, what do you think the best method for it is? Is it really like the repetition? Is it really the consistency? Is it doing it at the same time every single day? You know, what, what's your advice on that? I would say yes, 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 and yes. Um, the uh, so so I'll tell you one one question that I get a lot that's in alignment with what you just asked is people go well these six practices right that the world's most successful people have done since the beginning of time don't reinvent the wheel right meditation it works it lowers your cortisol levels right it allows you to get calm and centered and create space for the rest of your you know the miracle morning practices. I've often been asked, well, can't I, like the savers are great. Like I could see how doing those six practices are game changers, right? The, uh, but couldn't I do them in the afternoon, right? Lunchtime or after work or the evening? And the answer is absolutely. And they will be game changers at any time of day. Here's the difference. There are immediate benefits when you do the savers, right? When you meditate, they can, you know, science has proven this. They can hook you up. Your biometrics change, like your cortisol levels lower. Your, you know, you get into an alpha state. You can think clearer, so on and so forth. And ultimately, it's the same with all of those affirmations. When you affirm what you're committed to and why you're committed to, now you're that you increase that drive, that clarity to to, to do the things that'll move you forward. Exercising, right? You get blood and oxygen to your brain. The point is, if you wait on all of these until the end of the day or later in the day you just missed out on the benefits that you would have gained for the morning and the afternoon, right? So the idea is that how you start your day sets the tone, the context, and the direction for who you are when you create the rest of the day. In other words, you start the day by putting yourself in a peak physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual state. You optimize who you are, and then you take that version into your 8 a.m. meeting and your 9 a.m. meeting and your 10 a.m. cold calls and your, right? Like, 
so on and so forth. And so you benefit all day long. And so doing the savers later in the day, that's fine. But doing it first thing in the morning gives you the, you get the greatest benefit that serves you throughout the day. I think it's. I mean, also, any successful person you talk to, will, if you ask them about their morning routine, I mean, they will be able to tell you, like verbatim, exactly what they all have something that they follow every single morning. That's just the way, the way it is. That's what I've noticed, right? And when Tristan and I talk to successful agents in our company or, or across the or across the world, it's all like, "What's your morning routine?" And they can just like repeat it all. Like miracle a, morning. I know you. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, uh, really, one of the things beautiful morning, so uh, pick it up on Amazon. One of the things um, I really, I really want to focus on too, and you've said it a few times, but I want to bring it out again to the to the viewers. It's the compound effect of doing it all together that I think is so important. As we talk about method and the savers, you mentioned it a couple of times. If you just do one or two of them, you're not getting the same effect as as prescribing to your whole routine. And I just wanted to repeat that because I think it's worth drilling that into the group that it's the compound effect of doing all of it at once. Yeah. Let me run. I, I appreciate you saying that. And I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to both disagree and agree with you. So the, the, I'll disagree first. The disagreement is that I want people to realize that this is a system that is customizable for you, right? right? So meaning, number one, you can do it any duration. Most people do a one hour miracle morning. They do, t- like my first miracle morning was 10 minutes of each of these practices, right? Um, or a 30 minute where they'll do five minutes for each or they'll even adjust. Some they'll do five, some they'll do 10. You might do affirmations for five minutes, but exercise for 10 or whatever. So it's totally customizable in terms of the duration of the activities. The order is also customizable. A lot of people just go through S-A-V-E-R-S in their head. It just makes it easy. Um, but some people want to do E first. They go, if I don't exercise first thing in the morning, I'll, I'll fall back asleep. Like I got to get up and move my body, right? That's great. I like to meditate first thing in the morning because I, just, I like that kind of like wake up slowly into the day. It's also easier to meditate and quiet the mind when you first wake up and your brain is in alpha, right? So, um, but think of it this way. As you go through the savers, so silence allows you to, again, lower your cortisol levels, calm your mind, calm your thinking, calm your nervous system, get centered, right? I also, I'll do breath work sometimes. I'll mix in prayer. I mean, you can, you know, silence is a very all-encompassing word. Anything where you sit there in silence. And then from that place, you create this space, right? You lower your mind, you, you let go of any thoughts that are, you know, stressful coming in, going out. And then you pull out your affirmations and you read your affirmations and those affirm, those remind you, here's what I'm committed to, here's why, and here's what I'm going to do today, right? Now you're fired up. And then you go into visualization and visualization similar to affirmations, I think has been mistaught for too long. We're taught to visualize the end result. Make a dream board or a vision board, right? Put up your the, the cars and the houses and the, all the stuff that you want, right? There, there's actually, it can be counterproductive if all you do is visualize the end result you can literally trick your subconscious into thinking that it's as good as done. And then you lose the realization that, oh, wait a minute, I actually have to do stuff to make that vision come true. So I'm, my, my practice for visualization is that you visualize the end result for you know, maybe a minute because it is important to see it, feel it, believe it, know what it's going to look like and feel like. But that's the least important part of your visualization. The most important part is you've got to visualize yourself engaged in the activity today that will move you in the direction of the long-term vision. So when I was training for an ultra marathon, I hated running. 
And often the thing that we need to do today is the thing that we don't want to do. It's usually, I don't want to get on the phone. I don't want to, right? I don't want to pound the pavement. I don't want to, we don't want to do the thing that will get us where we want to go. If we did, it was easy. Everybody would do it, right? So here's the thing. I hated running. I, I really didn't like to run. I had never run more than a mile in my life. And I'm training for this ultra marathon where I got to run anywhere from two to six miles a day. And so here's what I did. Every morning, I would visualize the clock on my phone saying 7 a.m. because that's when I was going to run. So whatever time you want to do the thing you need to do, what time you visualize the timer going off on your phone. And then I'd visualize myself going, walking into my bedroom, grabbing my running clothes, getting dressed, visualize myself walking through my living room. I'd see it like a movie, right, in my mind. And then I'd visualize myself opening the front door to my house, smiling, and I would actually feel the feelings. And sometimes I would have to say to myself, like, I'm excited to run. This is going to be fun. This is good for my body. I'm going, to, I'm going to train for this ultra marathon, right? But I would visualize while I would be affirming these things and feeling emotions that were excited to go on the run, which I hated to do. So the purpose of this is you're utilizing visualization every day to visualize and feel yourself, create the emotional experience of you performing at your best, doing the activity that is going to get you toward your goals and your dreams. And here's what happened. Because I went there in the morning and I created that experience in my mind and my body, as soon as the alarm went off my phone that said 7 a.m., it was almost effortless. I just stood up. Like, you know, I, I just stood up and did it. I just, I walked in the closet, got dressed, walked out. And when I opened the front door to my house, what do you think happened? I smiled, right? Like I had rehearsed it. It's rehearsal. And then I felt empowered and I was like, I wasn't resisting the run. And then I went out and I ran, I had a great time. And I ran in one year, I ran 475 miles to train to run 52 miles in one day, which I completed. And that was from a guy who had never run more than a mile in my entire life. And that was only in PE, you know, class in high school when you had to, like I hated running and that's why I chose it. I'm like, if I could do this, I could do anything. Cause like, I don't even know the guy that could like, I've never, I've never been that person, you know? So what a great challenge, right? And that, you know, I think for all of us, we can take on something that's out of our comfort zone that scares us, do it in your business, do it in your life, do it in whatever area and who you become in the process is more important than whatever goal you do or don't achieve. That's so true, man. Well, look, it also takes us into this next question I have for you. Uh, so I think after doing this, so this is how I do it. I actually write out savers on, on, my, um, on my morning journal. So yeah. that I know it, I could just check them off really quick. It's super easy for me. That's how, that's how visually I see it, right? Sure. And so at night, though, I've also started a routine to plan out the next day. Uh, what what can you tell us, hey, th these are the things you should be doing as a routine at night to prepare for the next day. Besides what you just said, look, visualizing it, right? What else can we do? Yeah, the, the great question. Um, and I, I'm asked that a lot. Like, are you ever going to write the miracle evening? So for a long time, I had no evening routine. Uh, and people would go, what do you do at night? I'm like, I wind down and I go to sleep. And Netflix I and hamburger. What did you say? Netflix and a burger in bedtime. That's my miracle evening. Oh, that's terrible. All right. So um, <laughs> oh, I'm writing a book, best selling book coming out. Don't, it's going to compete with you. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, ha the, the burger and chill or Netflix and chill. All right. So um, <laughs> he, Nick's throwing me off. All right. So the miracle evening. 
I know. So here, here's what I do. My, my routine is not very robust. Um, I've had people that say they will do a mini savers in the evening. So they'll do the savers in the morning for like 30 minutes or an hour. And then at night they'll do uh, the savers, like a six minute version or, you know, something like that. They'll meditate for a minute. They'll read an affirmation. I will say this. One of the things that's been really valuable for me, I don't do it anymore because I don't need to. Uh, although maybe that's not true. It probably would help me, but I did it for so many years. It kind of became ingrained in me, but I, I wrote these bedtime affirmations. So for me, if you think about it, the first thought you have in the morning is usually the last thought you had before bed. You know, and if you go to bed stressed out, you wake up stressed out. When I was a kid, if it was Christmas Eve, I went to bed excited to wake up. And what happened in the morning? I was like, it's Christmas, right? I was excited. That first thought in the morning is almost always the last thought before bed, right? First day of school, you go to bed thinking about it, you wake up thinking about it, right? So for me, I created these affirmations that basically told me that, hey, tonight, however many hours of sleep I'm getting is perfect. I'm going to wake up tomorrow at blank AM, whatever time I was committed to, no matter what, there's no other option. I'm going to wake up feeling energized and refreshed and inspired and empowered and ready to take on the day. I'm going to get out of bed, turn off my alarm. That's a bonus tip, by the way. You got to keep your alarm clock not on your bedside table. You're going to fail every time. You got to keep it across the room or in the bathroom as far away as possible. And then, uh, and so I would affirm what I was going to, how I was going to feel when I woke up. I would literally tell myself, this is how I'm going to feel. I'm going to feel amazing. And then what happened, first thing in the morning, I woke up and I'm like, oh, it's 6 a.m. I feel amazing. I'm getting out of bed. I'm brushing my teeth. I'm washing my face. I'm drinking a glass of water. I'm, I'm going out of my bedroom, right? So, and by the way, you can get these bedtime affirmations. Uh, what's the website? TMMbook.com. So TMM, like the miracle morning, TMMbook.com. You can get the 30 day challenge, a bunch of free stuff, bonuses, including the bedtime affirmations. So what my routine, so that was a routine for a long time. Well, just reading that affirmation only took a few minutes, right? But it calmed me, the, the affirmation basically reminded me to calm down, let go of any stressful thoughts. There was no point in thinking about them, right? Like it just, it, it just, again, it was reminding me of here's what I need to think about, focus on and feel now that it's bedtime, you know? And, and, and I've, I, I did pull it out actually uh, uh, like a month or so ago when the COVID thing happened, I was having trouble sleeping like probably everybody, right? Like a lot of things on my mind. Um, and, uh, and so I did pull that affirmation out again and I did start using it and it kind of, and it put me back to sleep, right? I was able to sleep again, realizing that when I lay down for bed, there's no, that's not the time to run through my list of to-dos, to run through the fears that I have about the future. Like that's, that's not the time. That's the time to do nothing other than let everything go, feel peaceful and fall asleep. Right. And so now that's, that's kind of what I do. So my evening routine now is all I do is when I lay down to bed, I have already, you know, I've already got the next day planned. I mean, that's already all done. So I don't have to plan the next day. It's just, you know, it's, it's in my schedule already. Um, but I just, I just sit there and I just feel peace and love. Like that's it. I just fall asleep thinking I'm grateful. And sometimes I'll repeat phrases. I'm grateful. I love my life. Life is perfect. Even when I was had cancer and I was in the hospital, my two favorite affirmations or mantras were my life is perfect and I'm grateful for every aspect of it. Like when I was laying in the hospital bed fighting for my life, that's just what I affirmed. I, my life is perfect and I am grateful for every moment, for every aspect of it. And I really think that that's what we're after, right? We're after that inner peace. That's what we're, that's why we're, everything we're doing is to feel good. So the secret is feel good first. Like make an unwavering vow that you're going to experience joy in everything that you do. 
if you're going through a challenge, you're going to take it on with gratitude and with joy and with, right, with, with peace. Like, and so that for me, and it's, it, you know, it's easier said than done sometimes, but when you do your miracle morning every day and you're affirming these things every day, you know, you're, you're kind of brainwashing yourself, if, if you will, in a positive way to think and feel in alignment with what we really want, which is we want to feel good. But most of us have that feel good goal attached to other goals. If this happens, then I can be at peace. If this has happens, then I can feel good. If this doesn't happen, then I'm okay, right? No, we got it backwards. We got to enjoy every moment, feel peaceful and grateful every day while we're going through this, you know, these, these crazy difficult times. Tristan, I, I've got a question, but I, I want to mix it up if you don't mind, buddy. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I, you know, one of the things I loved about your book so much, Hal, was the the first couple chapters about your stance on mediocrity. Can you just give us a few minutes on that? Because I, it's funny, I was talking to my business partner today, and one of the things I fight most with my teenage children <laughs> is mediocrity and the 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 fact that we're okay with okay. And I loved the first part of your book so much. And I know Nick's shaking his head yes. I would love, I don't want to get off this call without you touching on that. So do you mind? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you asked about that. And it is, it's something that I occasionally, it'll, I'll get criticism for. Like if you read some of the negative reviews on Amazon for the book, they're like, you know, he talked about people being mediocre and like he was judging everyone and this and that. And, and I said very clearly in the book, like, that mediocrity is has nothing to do with how you compare it to me or how Eric to Tristan or Nick, right? Like mediocrity, the way that I define it is how we compare to who we know we can be, right? So it's accepting less than we want, than we're capable of, and then we and then and that we deserve, right? And um, I really believe that's one of the greatest disservices that we can do to humanity. But but you know if you forget humanity, let's bring it close to home. Like our circle of influence, our friends, our family, I think one of the greatest disservices we can do is to settle for less than we're capable of because then we're unconsciously giving them permission to do the same. It's also the worst thing to do to ourselves. Um, I had a big, my breakthrough around this came, I had just bought my first house in 2006 and I had two of my good friends, two of my best friends were living with me renting rooms. And I, my sales averages were higher than theirs, meaning like my closing percentage, my average order size. So I could kind of take it easy and, and I was still able to sell enough to, to make a you know, decent income. Um, but what happened was I would often make my calls uh, like in the car or basically where they didn't see. And then I'd come home and I would just, I'd be done for the day. I would just watch TV. I would play video games. I would, you know, I was 25 years old at the time. And what happened is they, their sales started to decline and they were, we were all in the same company. And I, uh, one day I realized, oh, my, the way that I perform, the way that I show up in, in my life, isn't just about me. It's affecting the people that I love and care about. And I owe it to them to lead by example. And so I think that this is true for all of us is that the greatest gift we can give to another person is to fulfill our potential because then it unconsciously gives them permission to do the same. And it also equips us to support them. Like then we know how to do it. Hey, here's, hey, I know what you're going through. You're struggling. I've been there. Here's how I overcame it, 
right? But if we settle for less than our best, right, then we're accepting mediocrity. Again, it's not a, it's not a judgment. It's not you compare your work, you're mediocre compared to uh, somebody else. No, it's you know, only you really know. Other people can observe, others can observe, but only you really know. Is this your best? Or are you settling for less than you want, less than you deserve, and less than you're capable of? And if you are, then that's what I call, you know, that, that to me is mediocrity. And, and, you know, no judgment. I really think if somebody wants to live that way, like, I don't, I'm not saying that is wrong inherently, right? But I think that in certain contexts, you know, if you consider what we really want, I don't think anybody's like, nah, I don't want to fulfill my potential, yeah. right? I don't think anybody's, I don't want a great life. I just want to settle for less than my best. And by the way, I can't define a great life for you. If you're, if a great life for you is making enough money to pay your rent and watch Netflix, like that's cool. Like that is not, right? If that is really what for you fulfilling your potential that you just want that life, that is that God bless everybody, right? Like that's no judgment. It's not, nobody has a right to tell you what, what is or isn't true or correct or right for you. It's only you knowing in your heart is that, am I accepting mediocrity for myself? Is this all I want? Or deep down, do I really want more? Do I deserve more? And if so, that's where overriding that mediocrity comes into play. Yeah, and I think Trist- Tristan and Nick, you deal with that almost every day. You you guys coach. Well, I wanted to make a yeah, I wanted to make a comment in regards to that, and I'm glad you brought that up, Eric, because there's plenty of times where I'll talk about this in in our lab code agents group, and um, what I say is, you know, I never feel satisfied, not with my family and my wife and my kids and where I live. I never feel satisfied with what I'm doing right now with my career and where I want to go. Because if I feel satisfied, then then I'm done, right? And I know that that I don't ever want to get comfortable. And people take that the wrong way. And they go, well, then you must be a really miserable, unhappy person. I go, no, 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 no. Not feeling satisfied and, and, and not feeling like you've, you've accomplished what you need to accomplish doesn't have anything to do with your happiness at all. I'm, I'm perfectly happy, but I know that I can do more and I'm always striving for that. So it's interesting that people take it that way. And Eric, I'm, I, I love that you brought that up and how I love your answer because I com- completely agree 100% that people get offended by that. Why do you think that is? I think that, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for anybody else. I mean, one theory could be that, you know, someone that really, well, I think that it's just, if they take it out of context, they go, oh, he's judging others as mediocre. Who the fuck, sorry, who the heck is he to, right? to <laughs> you know, to, to yeah. judge me? And it's like, no, I like, that's, that's not it, you know? And I, I can see how it kind of come across that way. The other, the other potential piece, I think, you know, and again, this is just speculative, but is it, you know, if somebody feels like when you call somebody out on their stuff, right, that can be painful. So if somebody's yeah. like, you know, I'm accepting mediocrity, screw you. So who the hell are you to judge me? Right. And it's like, right. there, exactly. there might be a personal, like a little bit of personal, you know, they relate to it and, and it causes a little bit of pain. I mean, By I, the way, sometimes, well, sometimes, you know, working at a minimum wage job and going home and having a cheeseburger and watching Netflix, that's what some people want to do. And if that's what they want to do, then that, like you said, great. But then don't, then don't get offended when I say that's not what I want to do that. You see what I'm saying? That's what they do. So anyway, listen, we can go on all day about this. I want to talk about miracle equation for a second, unwavering faith and extraordinary effort. We, when you had cancer, you know, I feel like, um, along with a lot of people, we kind of went through that with you. Like, you know, we were pulling for you and praying for you and you stayed positive the entire time. 
Um, and you talk a lot about this in the miracle equation, unwavering faith plus extraordinary efforts equals miracles. Um, you think that's kind of what got you through uh, the cancer stage in your life? Yeah, yeah. So when I, uh, when I was diagnosed with cancer, you know, I was told I had a 10 to 30% chance of surviving, which if you're a pessimist, that's a, a 70 to 90% chance that you're going to die, that I was going to die. Uh, very grim odds. And um, it's a, yeah, it's a, it was a really scary cancer. I mean, it's within, you know, I went from being totally healthy to within about two weeks, my heart was failing, my lung was failing, and my kidneys were failing. You know, I was on the verge of death. And the doctor, when we sat down, I said, hey, I want to cure this holistically. And he said, um, I said, can you support me in that? And the oncologist said, look, Hal, I can appreciate that. And some cancers afford you the time to, to experiment with, you know, something natural. He said, the way that I see it, you will be dead in a few days uh, or a week if you don't start chemo in the next 24, you know, hours. And I just met this guy. I didn't know him. And I, I, I kind of took that. I, I didn't like that. My wife's sitting there bawling and, you know, and I'm like, who screw you. I thought it was kind of a scare tactic to get me to do chemo. And then I said, can we have 24 hours? You know, we're going to go sleep on it and talk about it. And he said, sure. I went home and I Googled it and I realized, oh shoot, he wasn't exaggerating. Like this cancer, it kills you fast. Like you find out you have it and then you die. Um, right. And so I was like, okay. And so, uh, and then I, I called a couple natural holistic uh, oncologists, some of the best in the world. And they're like, we can't help you. They, they said that there's not time. There's not time. The best bet you have is chemo. And I'm like, shoot. Okay. So I had to dig into my, you know, my, my toolkit, like, and I go, how, how am I going to beat this? How am I going to beat? These are really scary odds, you know, 10% survival rate. I mean, come on. And this thing called the miracle equation that I named when I was 20 years old, I used it to break sales records. So when I was 20 years old, I created this, this formula to try to break a company record and do something that in my company at the time, I sold Cutco Cutlery when I got my start. When I was 20, no one in fifth, the fifth year history of the company had ever achieved this level. And I was trying to achieve it in a limited amount of time. And I, I thought, this is like a miracle. If I do this, it'd be a miracle. And then I thought, what's the four, like, what would I have to do to achieve this? And I, I basically, I boiled it down to two decisions. I thought these are the two decisions that the world's most successful people make in all walks of life. And I'll, I'll dive into these decisions in a second, but or in a few minutes. I ended up reaching the goal. And in, in miraculous fashion, it was the last hour out of this 10-day period that it like, it just it happened in amazing fashion. So then I'm like, maybe that was luck. Maybe it was a coincidence. I'm going to try it again. And I went and did it again. And then I thought, I'm going to teach it to people. I'm going to teach to my colleagues and see if it's just me or if, if it's duplicatable, duplicable. And I taught it to one of my colleagues. She'd been around a long time, never been able to achieve this level of success. She goes out and it works. Like, this is crazy. Maybe, you know. So I taught it to, to colleague after colleague after colleague and every single person, it worked. So I then applied it to the miracle morning when that book came out to sell a million copies and it worked. So when I was diagnosed with cancer three years ago and I'm like, how am I going to beat this? I mean, it was literally the first thing that came to my mind is I go, the miracle equation. Like that's how I've defied the odds from learning to walk again when I was 20 after I was in a car accident to, you know, breaking these company records to all these things I've done. It was always this miracle equation. And so I thought, that's it. And I told my wife the day I was diagnosed, I said, sweetheart, two things. Number one, I have unwavering faith that I will beat this cancer. In fact, I said, the doctor says there's a 10 to 30% survival rate. I'm telling you, 
in my mind, there is a 100% chance that I will be in that 10 to 30%, period. That's it. So I don't see it as I, there's 10 to 30% chance of surviving. To me, it's 100% chance that I'm in the 10 to 30%. I said, and number two, I said, there's this thing called the miracle equation. I, I don't know if you've heard me talk about it before. And she's like, eh, vaguely, I don't know, whatever. And I said, I've, to me, this works. Like, I have no doubt. This is where my faith comes from, is I've seen this play out time and time and time again, not only in my own life, not only in people that I've worked with, but in how do you do that, the unwavering faith? Erica, great question. We'll get to that. But, but I've seen this work for everyone I've taught it to, but also I've studied the world's most successful people, right? As, as most of us have, right? You read their books, you study them. These are the same two decisions that all of them made in order to achieve seemingly impossible results, aka miracles, right? And if you look at the, the subtitle of the book, I'm pointing at it here, the two decisions that move your biggest goals from possible to probable to inevitable. The first decision is to establish unwavering faith. If you, and how do you do that? Erica asked, it's a great question. The, and thank you, Tristan, for linking to the book in the comments. Here's how you do it. It's not rocket science. And, and here's what's interesting. These two decisions are deceptively simple in their explanation, but extraordinarily rare in their execution, okay? So when I tell them to you, you'll be like, well, that seems too easy. But if you look at the world's most successful people, the first thing that they do is they establish unwavering faith that they can do something that they've never done before. And possibly no one's ever done before, right? Michael Jordan had never won a championship until he maintained unwavering faith that he can make it win a championship. And if you look at the world's greatest athletes, they're a great example of this. Most of us live with fear as our dominant emotional state and our mental state. Fear, what if I fail? What if it doesn't go right? I'm afraid of the unknown. I'm afraid that I'm not good enough. I'm afraid I don't have what it takes, right? We have this fear of failure, fear of missing out, fear of financial insecurity, right? We're riddled with fear. It, it's, and by the way, that's normal because our ancestors had to be afraid so that they didn't die from you know the lion, tiger, bear, whatever. So fear is what keeps us alive. But our fears are very irrational now, right? We're not, we're not trying to, for the most part, we're not trying to survive. We're afraid of failure. And so here's the point. Fear typically is what determines our behavior. We, when, when we, you know, when you set a goal, you get all excited in the beginning. I call it the infatuation period. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do it. I listened to a lab coach seminar and, and, and webinar and they told me I could do anything. And now I know I can do it, right? So people get excited. But as soon as things don't go as perfectly as they had hoped, right? They hit a wall. They, they face a setback. The, their success is taking way longer than they thought. Why is it taking so long? Then most people, their faith goes out the window. The faith that they set out with, it was almost a, a, a delusional optimism. It wasn't rooted in faith. It was, it was delusional optimism that because someone else said they could, they thought they could. And when it didn't go as planned, the faith goes out the window. And when the faith goes out the window, the second decision that you must make is to maintain extraordinary effort. The effort follows right behind it. And when I say that the second decision is to maintain extraordinary effort, that doesn't mean that you have to work late hours. Not, not that, that that can't help, but extraordinary effort, if I had to define it in one word, it's consistency. The world's most successful people, while the average person sets a goal, has faith for a little bit, puts forth the effort as long as the faith lasts, as soon as the, the faith goes out the window, or they get bored, or they get discouraged, the effort goes right behind it. The world's top achievers, 
they maintain unwavering faith until, for as long as it takes, and they put forth that consistent effort. It means doing one thing every day that moves you in the direction of what I call your mission, the single most important outcome that you're committed to in your life or your business. And your mission can change at any given time. Right. For at one point, my mission was to, to reach a million people with the miracle morning. Then my mission was to beat cancer. Now, I want to answer Erica's question because it was, how do you maintain unwavering faith? The way that you do it is with a written statement that you read every single day with conviction. So my miracle, mo I call it the miracle mantra, which makes it easy to remember. My miracle mantra, when I was trying to break a company record in sales, when I first created the miracle equation was I'm committed to giving it everything I have to sell blank amount in this many days, regardless of my results along the way, no matter what, there's no other option. I'm going to say that again. And this is the long extended version. You can do a shorter one, but I am committed to give it everything I have to blank regardless of my results no matter what, there's no other option. And what that did, the regardless of my results part is very important because when you're working toward a goal and it's not happening as fast as possible, that's when you lose faith. But if you're reinforcing every day, no, 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 no. I'm committed to give it everything I have for as long as it takes, regardless of my results, no matter what, there's no other option. And what happened is every time when I was trying to reach this goal, I had a no sale or a no show or a canceled order or halfway through it, I wasn't even close to where I needed to be. And I felt fear and I felt self-doubt and I pulled out my phone and I read, I am committed to give it everything I have to, to achieve this goal, no matter what, there is no other option. And that reinforcement kept me committed. It kept me focused. When I was diagnosed with cancer, my miracle mantra said, I am committed to giving it everything I have to beat cancer and live to be 100 plus years old alongside Ursula, Sophie, and Halston, my wife and kids, no matter what, there is no other option. And every day, I felt fear, of course. Every day, I felt fear, especially when, you know, I've got an eye infection where my face is swollen twice the size. I'm in the ER, 104 fever. I'm on life support. That's pretty scary. And I just kept affirming, I am committed to give it everything I have to live to be 100, beat cancer and live to be 100 years old, no matter what, there's no other option. And that is how you establish and maintain unwavering faith. You do it by focusing on the faith and the commitment that you have instead of the fear. And what's interesting is the faith fuels the effort and the effort fuels the faith. I call this the faith effort feedback loop. When you establish that faith and you reinforce it every single day with conviction, you actually start to feel it and believe it and go, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to beat cancer. I'm going to achieve my goal. I'm going to sell 100 houses. I'm going to, whatever it is, I'm, go, I'm committed. I'm going to do it. You start to believe it. You're kind of brainwashing yourself in the positive. And what that does is that, that fuels you to actually go out there and do the one thing today that will move you in the direction of what you're affirming in the morning. And then once you do that thing, you actually start to feel momentum and you feel deserving. You go, I deserve to beat this cancer. Like for me, I'll give you an example of my extraordinary effort. I took like 70 supplements a day 
I juiced every day. I did ozone sauna. I did acupuncture. I did my miracle morning, even when I didn't feel like it. I exercised, even though I had no energy. And the, the most extraordinary effort of all is I did coffee enemas three times a week. If you don't know what that is, it's where you stick a tube up your butt and you shoot like 32 ounces of coffee and you hold it for 12 minutes. There is no effort more extraordinary, in my opinion, for anything. Um, and every time I did it, I'm like, I deserve to beat this cancer. I am doing everything in my power. I'm not just doing the easy stuff. I'm not just, and calling chemo easy is not really, you know, chemo sucks. But, you know, that's the easy thing. You just show up, they, they hook you up, and you do the chemo, right? And then you go home, and you binge on Netflix, and eat macaroni and cheese. no. It was doing everything in my power. And that's that faith effort feedback loop is you feel like I deserve this outcome that I'm affirming because I'm doing something every day that is moving me in the direction of that outcome. And the faith fuels the effort and the effort fuels the faith and the faith fuels the effort. And there's this beautiful feedback loop that starts to make it easier and easier and easier to maintain the two decisions that make up the miracle equation. Hey, Hal, I just want to say one thing real quick before Tristan's question because I if, mm -hmm. if I don't miss from one of our from one of the viewers Matt Cohen he says that he has an uncurable type of blood cancer melanoma and he had his one he had his 305th chemo treatment last week and when he was first diagnosed seven years ago oh. he said I had wavering faith 100% that I was going to survive and even thrive he says I keep going because I immediately decided that I was going to live no matter what even after 305 rounds of chemo so that's awesome and yeah. this is the kind of stuff that you bring out of people man i love it i'm like pumped up at five o'clock at night uh, well Appreciate and let me i want to share one more i'm glad you shared that because and matt thank you for sharing that there's a book called love medicine and miracles by dr bernie siegel and he's you know he's retired now but he's was an oncologist for i don't even know you know de many decades and he said that the one thing that every single patient that beat their cancer had in common is unwavering faith, right? They had decided I'm going to live. There's no other option. And he said he saw many patients with lesser cancers, meaning like they had a much better chance of surviving, but they gave up faith right at, oh, I have cancer. I'm, I'm, that's it. I'm going to die. Right. He said, and, and then it was just, it was, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, yeah, whether you affirm that you to, – to, to put a spin on what Henry Ford said, whether you affirm you can't or you affirm you can, right, you end up being right either way. Yeah. Hal, all right, man. Well, let's wrap it up here. It's the top of the hour here. You were here with us for one hour. We really appreciate that. Uh, we could go on probably for like eight hours. Oh, my god! Are you saying I'm long-winded, Tristan? No, no. <laughs> you're, you're like my son says, Siscopadillion. That's a long-winded, right? But no, in a good way. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for being on, bro. We really Absolutely. appreciate you. Inspired everyone here. How Can we answer one question in a minute? Go, shoot. We got two. All right. What's your current position on sleep? How much sleep do we need, Hal? Um, I think, uh, you know, seven to eight hours. But to me, it's there's so much to that. Uh, I'm not the expert on sleep. <laughs> My own experience, though, is that however many hours of sleep you tell yourself you need, Typically, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think that you're going to be tired unless you get eight, well, if you're only going to get six one night, well, then why tell yourself you're going to be tired? Just tell yourself, like, try to get seven to eight, but tell yourself no matter how many hours you're getting, you're going to wake up and energized, enthused, right? And, and whatever you tell yourself, that becomes your reality in the morning.
The Miracle Equation of the Miracle Morning on Amazon. Miracle Morning is like the, the most five-star reviews of any book like on in Amazon history. And then The Miracle Equation is the sequel. Podcasts.